we present Peter Cook and Marjorie Westbury in the Francis Durbridge serial Paul Temple and the Van Dyke Affair. Episode 5. Roger Shelley makes a suggestion. Hello? Could uh, Mr. Paul Temple take a personal call from London, please? What? Paul, what is it? But that's impossible. No one knows I'm here. Avez-vous entendu ce que j'ai dit? Can Mr. Paul Temple take a personal call from London, please? Yes, speaking. Is that Mr. Temple speaking personally? Yes, who is it? Who is it calling? It is a Mr. Van Dyke. Van Dyke? Paul, what's happening? I don't understand it. There's a call for me from a Mr. Van Dyke. It's ridiculous. Nobody knows we're here. <laughs> I'm so sorry to keep you waiting, monsieur. Happening tonight. Speak up, London, please. Your party is on the line waiting. Oh, mon Dieu, scurry till ce soir. Will you please speak up? Your party is waiting for you. Oh, un moment, s'il vous plaît, monsieur. Paul. Wait a second, Steve. I think they've cleared the line. Paul, I don't know whether you realize it, but you're standing right in front of the window. Uh, what did you say? You're standing right in front of the window. It looks to me as if the phone's been moved. And I believe you're right, Steve. Surely it ought to be over here on this table. Yes, this does seem a silly place for a telephone, and the flex is stretched... To... Ah! Oh, oh, Paul. Keep back, Steve. But Paul, you're hurt. It's only my arm. I... Oh, Paul, let me Steve, help you. keep away from the window. Sir Graham. Steve, I thought you left the hospital ages ago. Well, I did go back to the hotel, but is he going to be all right? Who? Temple? <laughs> you better ask him yourself. What do you mean? Oh, Paul! Look out, darling, oh, my, darling. my arm. Mm. Mm. Oh. <laughs> right, Timothy, Steve, I must do this more often. Paul, your arm, <laughs> is it serious? No, but it might have been. I was lucky. Yes, you certainly were. If it hadn't been for Steve, I should have had it. Incidentally, where was our sharpshooting friend? On the roof opposite? Yes, I think he must have been Temple. But the place was deserted by the time we got there. Sir Graham, did you find out about the flat? Yes, it belongs to Murray. Murray? The, the man from the glove shop that Paul found dead in the bedroom? Yes. Oh, but it, it was Murray who sent us to the Boulevard Seminaire. If, if he'd got anything to say to us, why didn't he say it in the shop? Yes, I know, Steve. And but, the phone um... call. I know it is a trick to get Paul in front of the window, but do you think it was a genuine call from London? No. It was a fake, Steve. A very clever one, but a fake. As a matter of fact, I had my suspicions about that call from the... <laughs> oh, now, come off it, Paul. Mm -hmm. He fell for it hook, line and sinker. <laughs> well, <I did. laughs> when you're going back to London... We're flying back tomorrow morning. Oh, I hope you don't mind, Sir Graham. I've sent Inspector Eden a cable. Cable? What about uh, About that doll. You remember, Palmer spoke to me about it. He said the little girl was asking for it. Oh, yes, yes, I don't know. Well, I've asked Eden to send it round to my flat. Why? Well, with your permission, I'd rather like to give it back to Palmer. It isn't much use of the yard, is it? I can't say it's much use to Palmer. Well, it's not intended for Palmer. Not exactly. For the little girl. What about Murray, Sir Graham? Have the French people any idea who murdered him? No. They've been over the apartment with a fine tooth comb, but I'm afraid they've drawn a blank. Yes, well, I don't think they'll have to look very far. What do you mean? But isn't it obvious who murdered Murray? Not to me, it isn't. Who are you thinking of, Drosty? Drosty or Bill McCall. 
It's obvious that Mrs. Drost has been having an affair with Murray, Drost found out, and either murdered Murray himself or got McCall to do it. Hmm. How does that strike you, Sir Graham? Well, it's... it's quite a theory. So all you have to do is pick up Drosty? We have. Oh. He was staying at a small hotel near the Boulevard Osman. Where is he now? So far as I know, he's here at the hospital with his wife. Unless the police have taken him down to headquarters. How is Mrs. Drosty, by the way? She's still unconscious. I gather it's a 50-50 chance. I beg your pardon, monsieur. Mr. Drosty would like a word with you before he leaves. He is in my office. Oh, thank you, doctor. Is there any change in Mrs. Drosty? She's still unconscious, but I feel a little more hopeful. Oh, good. How is your arm, monsieur? Comfortable? Yes, it's, it's quite comfortable, thank you. Remember what I told you, and don't forget to change the dressing the moment you get back to London. Don't worry, I shan't forget, Doctor, if he does. <laughs> good, good. Well, come along, Temple. I expect you'd like to have a word with Drosty. We shan't be long, Steve. That arm of yours doesn't look too good, Temple. Did that happen at the Café Dico? No, I picked this up later in the evening. Oh, yeah? Where? In the Boulevard Seminaire. A gentleman of somewhat doubtful ancestry took a pot at me. You mean someone tried to shoot you? That was roughly the idea. You say, things happen to you, don't they? You were nearly shot driving back from Marlowe. You have an excellent memory, McCall. I'm awfully sorry about your wife, Drosty. I do hope she'll be all right. Everyone is being most kind. I'm sure there is nothing else that can be done. I wanted to thank you, Sir Graham, for getting in touch with me. We had to get in touch with you, Drosty. Oh? I'm not speaking as a police official at the moment, but there are certain things which you ought to know under the circumstances. Uh, what things? What do you mean? Well, for instance, that you're suspected of being responsible for the murder of Monsieur Marie. Marie? Yes, Charles Marie. He had a glove shop on the Rue Saint-Lazare and an apartment on the Boulevard Seminaire. I don't even know anyone called Marie, so why should anyone suspect me of murdering him? Why did you come to Paris, Drosty, in the first place? I, I told you why, on business. I had to see a wine merchant. Well, you can check it if you like. I expect the police well anyway. Here's the name of the firm. Renoir et Pierpont, 250 Rue Championnet. Drosty, I want you to listen very carefully. Well? When I came to your flat, your wife dropped a pair of gloves. You remember when she fainted? Yes, I remember. Well, I picked up the gloves, and on the inside of one of them was a small tab with the name Charles Marais, 173 Rue Saint-Lazare, Paris. So? Well, without going into details, that address had a certain significance. In fact, it wasn't the first time I'd heard of Monsieur Marais. Go on. This morning, my wife and I went to the shop in the Rue Saint-Lazare, and when we produced a certain glove not unlike Mrs. Droste's, Monsieur Marais directed us to 29 Boulevard Seminaire and told us to ask for a Mr. Palmer. Palmer? The name strikes a chord. Well... Wasn't it someone called Palmer who was supposed to have left an attache case at the Commodore Club? It was indeed. Well? When we arrived at the flat on the Boulevard Seminaire, there was no sign of a Mr. Palmer. But there was the dead body of Charles Murray. It was not, I assure you, a pretty sight. Well, so what? Mr. Drost has already told you that he didn't even know Murray. So what's all this about? Wait a moment, McCall. <sighs> Forgive me, old man. Perhaps I am a little dense, but... Why are you telling me this? Because we want you to know the facts. The police haven't finished with you, Drosty. There'll be a lot more questions. Mr. Drosty's not frightened of the police. Why should I be? Well, supposing the police believe that your wife was in love with Charles Murray, that you came to Paris with the intention of murdering both your wife and her lover, that your first attempt was at the Café Dico, 
And having missed Mary at the cafe, you made a second and successful attempt at the flat. Is that what the police really think? It's a possibility you've got to face. Well, what would your answer be to such an accusation? There's only one possible answer. The truth. You're quite right, Temple. I didn't come to Paris on business. I came to find my wife and try to reason with her. Shut up, don't be a fool, Rusty. Be quiet, McCall. I know what I'm saying. Look, you've been very frank with me, and I'm going to be equally frank with you. Yesterday, my wife told me that she was in love with Mary and that she wanted a divorce. Before we had time to discuss the matter, she walked out of the flat. McCall and I decided to come to Paris and, well, try and persuade her to change her mind. Is that your version, McCall? Sure. We came to Paris to find Mrs. Drusty and shake some sense into this character, Mary, but we just couldn't find the guy. And you didn't go to the Boulevard Seminaire? Well, why should we? Isn't that obvious? To see Mary? But we didn't know Mary lived in the Boulevard Seminaire. We tried to find his private address, Sir Graham, but unfortunately, or fortunately perhaps, we were unsuccessful. I see. McCall? Yeah? Have you seen this cigarette light uh, before? I seem one like it. Why? You sure it isn't yours? Yes, of course I'm sure. Got mine here in my pocket. Well? That's funny. I, I could have sworn it. Say, can I have a look at that lighter? Certainly. Well? Is it yours, McCall? Yes, it is. Where did you get it? I found it. Where? In the flat on the Boulevard Seminaire, by the body of Charles Murray. Now, careful, Steve, careful. <laughs> Don't be stupid. I've got to get this sticking plaster off your arm. Yes, darling, but you don't have to pull it off. But that's precisely what I have to do. The doctor said the best thing was to get hold of the plaster and give it a very quick tug. Oh, never mind what the doctor said. It's my arm, remember, not his. <laughs> oof, oof, oh, oof. Stop, really, stop. Really, Paul, I hardly touched you. You touched me, ye gods. If this was in one of your novels, the detective would be sitting back with a firm, determined expression on his face. You wouldn't flinch an inch. Well, it isn't in one of my novels, so just remove the plaster, darling. And if you can manage to leave a particle of skin, I should be very grateful. Now, look, just a minute. Now, now, does that hurt? Yes. Haven't started yet? No, it's subconscious. Subconscious, my foot. Now. Ooh, I ooh, see. ooh, ooh, Steve. It's off. Ooh. And you never ooh. felt a thing, did you? Would you mind passing my dressing gown, Miss Nightingale? <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Mm. Yes, Charlie? Inspector Eden's here, sir. Oh, oh, hello, Inspector. Come in. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mrs. Temple. Good afternoon, Inspector. Did you have a nice trip back? Thank you. My husband's arm was a bit troublesome, but apart from that, it was excellent. Oh, yes, I was sorry to hear about your arm. I hope it's going along all right. Yes, I'm in good hands, Inspector. <laughs> Tell me, have you heard from Sir Graham? Yes, he was on the phone about an hour ago. He's due back tonight. I suppose he told you all the news? Yes. Oh, by the way, the French people have released Rostia and McCall. Oh? You thought they'd hold them? Yes, I did. Hmm. Well, apparently the actual time of the Marriott murder has been established. And both Drosty and McCall have produced an alibi. Hmm. I gather it's pretty foolproof or the French police wouldn't have released them. No. And the cigarette lighter? Well, according to Sir Graham, McCall still can't account for the lighter. Hmm. Oh, I've, uh, I've brought the doll. Ah. I understand you'd like to give it back to Mrs Desmond. Yes, if you've no objections. No, we've no objection. 
we finished with it at the yard. Good. Now, tell me about Miss Millicent. Well, not a great deal to tell. She was picked up out of the Thames at four o'clock on Tuesday morning. According to Dr Gillespie, she'd been dead the best part of a week. Was she murdered? Well, Gillespie wouldn't commit himself. There aren't any signs of violence. On the other hand... How did she get into the water in the first place? Exactly. Hmm. Who identified the body? Shelley did. Shelley? Yes. He was staying at Marlow. We sent for him as soon as the body was discovered. Well, after you left for Paris, I had a talk to Shelley. As a matter of fact, he came along to the yard with that note he was supposed to have received from Miss Millicent. Yes, I know. Well, we checked the note, made the usual tests, and were convinced it was genuine. But of course, it can't be. Not if Gillespie's right. And Miss Millicent's been dead the best part of a week. Was the note dated? No. Well, then, how do you know that it wasn't written before she died and posted later? It wasn't posted. It was delivered by hand. And the ink tests show that it was written about 24 hours before Shelley received it. Hmm. Would you trust him, Inspector? <laughs> I don't know. I should imagine he's quite unreliable. For one thing, he's always chopping and changing. How do you mean? Well, in the past ten years, he's been an actor, a professional dancer, <laughs> and, believe it or not, a dress designer. Hmm. Does he do very well out of this Mother's Help Bureau, or whatever he calls it? He must do fairly well. He seems to get about quite a lot, and he's got this cottage down at Marlowe. I should imagine he's got a private income. Yes. Temple, I've been meaning to ask you... Yes, Charlie? Uh, Mr Palmer's here, and Mrs Desmond. I've popped them into the drawing room. Was that OK? Yes, that's all right, Charlie. OK, Mrs T. Were you expecting Palmer? Yes, he's called for the doll. Oh. Do you mind if I have a word with him? No, no, of course not. Come on, Inspector. It's very good of you to let us have the doll back, Inspector. Yes, it is. Well, that's all right. We've finished with it at the yard. There's no reason why the child shouldn't have it. Oh, Susan will be delighted when she sees it, won't she, Terry? Yes, yeah, she will indeed. How is Susan? Oh, she's fine. But I'm sure she's been missing the doll. Yes, it's funny how some kids get attached to things, isn't it? Yes. I remember when I was a kid, I had a kangaroo. I used to call it Corky. We were quite inseparable. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've asked you this before, Mrs Desmond, but you're quite sure that this is the same doll? Quite sure. Mr. Palmer, tell me, do you know Marlow very well? Marlow? Yes, you know, on the Thames, near Maidenhead. Yes, I've been there several times. Recently? No, not recently. Isn't that where you find Miss Millicent? Yes. Oh, I see. Well, I can assure you that you know a great deal more about the murder than we do, Inspector. We didn't even know that Miss Millicent had been found until we read about it. Isn't that so, Mary? Yes, of course. It hasn't yet been established that Miss Millicent was murdered. What do you mean? Well, she was drowned, of course, but whether but she was... of course Miss Millicent was murdered. She must have been, or... Go on, Mrs Desmond. Well, if she wasn't, what else could have happened? She might have committed suicide. You mean she kidnapped the baby, suddenly realised what she'd done, returned the child, and then committed suicide? Yes. Well, it's a possibility, I suppose. And why was the doll delivered to the Commodore Club? Why did Queenie Edwards go down to Marlow? And who is this mysterious Mr Van Dyke? What do you mean, who is this mysterious Mr Van Dyke? Mrs Desmond got a telephone call from someone called Van Dyke the night that Miss Millicent and the baby disappeared. Yes, but you don't attach any significance to that, surely? We attach a great deal of significance to it. And there's something else I attach a great deal of significance to. What? This glove. Forgive me if I'm a little dense, but I don't quite see the point. Well, you may remember that Mrs Desmond dropped this glove the night that the baby... I did? Yes. But surely there's some mistake. That's not one of my gloves. Oh, come now, Mrs Desmond, please. Uh, when did Mary drop that glove? The night that the baby was returned. Don't you remember? You saw us outside the flat. We'd just returned from Marlow. I remember seeing you outside the flat, and I remember ringing you up about a glove that Mary had lost. But that's not the one. 
How do you know it isn't? Because shortly after I telephoned you, she found her glove. It was in the car all the time, down by the side of the seat. You don't expect me to believe that, Palmer, do you? I don't see that it's awfully important whether you believe it or not. It happens to be the truth. Look here, Palmer. There's a tab inside this glove. It's got the address of the shop where it was bought. Well? The address is 173 Rue Saint-Lazare, Paris. But I've never been to Paris. Have you been to Paris, Mr. Palmer? Yes, of course, I have several times. As a matter of fact, the last time I was there, I stayed in the Rue Saint-Lazare. But I didn't buy Mrs. Desmond a pair of gloves, if that's what you're thinking. Hmm. Mrs. Desmond? Yes? Would you mind trying the glove on? <laughs> no, of course I wouldn't, providing I can get it on. Looks very small to me. <clears throat> oh, it's hopeless. It's far too small. I can't possibly get it on. Well? Are you satisfied, Temple? Oh, Paul, you spilled some coffee on the tablecloth. Oh, I wonder I haven't spilled it all over my suit. This bandage is far too tight. The doctor said... He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm taking this wretched thing off this afternoon, Steve. <laughs> doctor or no doctor. Oh, dear. You really are the limit when you've got anything the matter with you. Hmm. Paul, now, do you think that Mrs Desmond was telling the truth? Do you think that was her glove? Yes, of course it was. Well, then why on earth didn't it fit her? For the simple re... I say, isn't Charlie in? He is, as far as I know. Well, then why on earth doesn't he answer the door? He's probably in the kitchen. Probably asleep. Oh, you are in a mood this morning. It's all right. I'll answer it. Oh. Oh, good, good morning. Good morning. Is Mr Temple in, please? Yes, he is. My he... name is Shelley. Do you think I could have a word with Mr Temple? Well... I know it's frightfully annoying having callers at this time of day, but it is important. Oh, well, love. Um... Won't you come in, Mr. Shelley? Oh, thank you very much, Mrs. Temple. It is Mrs. Temple. It is. Oh, hello, Shelley. You're up early. It's very naughty of me to call around at this time, I know, but I did so want to have a word with you. Oh. Oh, hello. Have you had an accident? What? Oh, yes, yes. Now, come on, Shelley. Sit down and have some coffee and tell me what it's all about. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm rather perturbed, Mr. Temple. Perturbed? Mm. I don't know whether the police think I'm a suspicious character or not, but really the questions they've been asking. And my word, aren't they incompetent? Oh, well, I wouldn't say that, Mr. Shelley. Well, I would. You know that note I received that was supposed to have been written by Miss Millicent? Yes. Well, the police said it was genuine. You said it was genuine. Yes, I know, but I'm not an expert. Hmm. I was talking to Inspector Eden about that note, Shelley. Eden? Shelley. Oh, well, really, he's the end. That man's an imbecile. <laughs> Take my advice and don't underestimate Inspector Eden, Shelley. He's a very shrewd man. You know, Mr Shelley, although that note wasn't written by Miss Millicent, you can't dismiss it as being completely unimportant. Oh, but... After but, uh, all, it did reveal the identity of the murdered man. The man at Marlow, I mean. I don't dismiss the note as being unimportant, Mrs Temple. On the contrary. But why? Why, for goodness sake, was it sent to me? Isn't it obvious why? No. The person who wrote that note considered you an important character in this affair and thought it worthwhile to send you a friendly warning. What was it the note said? Um, the man you met at Marlowe, the man who called himself Baker, was Harry de Wolf. Let that be a warning, Mr Shelley. Yes. But a warning against what? It isn't as if I knew that fellow, the one that was murdered. I, I'd never set eyes on him until I met him at the words. Well, Shelley, supposing we get to the point, what exactly is it you want to see me about? Well, um, 
Go on. <laughs> you, you'll probably think this is rather ridiculous, but when I realised that Miss Millicent couldn't have written the note, I began to wonder if the whole thing was some kind of practical joke. Why should it be a practical joke? Well, I've got a friend, Marion Faber. The artist? Uh, yes. Do you know Marion? No, but I've heard of her. She's a well-known portrait painter. That's right. Didn't Miss Faber dine with you the night you invited Baker, rather DeWolf, to teach you canasta? Yes, that's right. She was at the cottage when Baker telephoned to say he couldn't make it. Well, go on. Well, you see, Marion's a darling, really, but, well, she has the most malicious sense of humour. And she adores practical jokes. Oh, you're surely not suggesting that Miss Faber sent you that note as a practical joke. Well, it's just the sort of thing she would do. Besides, she knew I was worried about the Miss Millicent business. Yes, but what makes you think that Miss Faber could copy Miss Millicent's handwriting? Oh, Marion could do that all right. As a matter of fact, that's, that's what put the whole idea into my head. Really? Well, you see, she used to do that sort of thing at parties. What? Uh, copy people's handwriting, I mean. Mm. She really is astonishingly good. Yes, but how could she get hold of a sample of Miss Millicent's handwriting? And how did she happen to know the identity of the dead man, the wolf? Exactly, Steve. Oh, dear. I'm afraid I never thought of that. Where does Miss Faber live? At Marlow? No, at Bourne End. She's got a bungalow, a lovely place. <gasps> She's disgustingly rich. Mm. Well, I think it might be a good idea if I had a word with her. Oh, I doubt if you'll get much help from her. The only time Marion feels like talking is when she's painting, and then she certainly can matter. <laughs> All right, I'll make an appointment for a sitting. She can paint me and talk to me at the same time. Oh, I'm sure you'll make a lovely picture, darling. <laughs> Especially with your arm in a sling. Oh, Lord, I've forgotten that. <laughs> Miss Temple. Mr. Temple, may I make a suggestion? Yes, of course. Why not let Mrs. Temple see Marion? I feel sure that she'd get a great deal more out of her than anyone else. Thank you, Mr. Shelley. Yes, do you know, I think you're quite right, Shelley. It's rather an idea. Yes, really rather an idea. Mrs. Temple? Yes? I'm Miss Faber's chauffeur. Oh. Miss Faber asked me to meet the train. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of her. Have you any luggage? No. The car's over there, Mrs. Temple, just through the gate. If you will follow me. Thank you. Uh, this is the car, madame. How far is Miss Faber's place from here? Oh, uh, it's about four miles. But it's rather difficult to find if you haven't been down here before. Oh, well, I'm very glad Miss Faber sent the car. I should probably have caught the wrong bus or walked in the opposite direction or something. <laughs> yes. Seems to be quite a habit of mine these days. I'll move those parcels off the back seat and then you can get in. Oh, please, don't bother. I can sit in the front with you. Oh, thank you. By the way, haven't I seen you before somewhere? I don't think so, madam. What is your name? Uh, France, madam. Uh, Louis France. Hmm. Funny, I could have sworn I'd seen you before somewhere. Oh, just a moment, madame. Didn't you stay at the Wordsworth Hotel at Malo about a week ago? Yes, that's right. My husband and I were down there for the weekend. Oh, that's where you must have seen me, Mrs. Temple. I delivered a message to the manager, Mr. McCall. Oh, yes, I remember. I knew that I had seen you before. Yes. You are one of those people who will never forget a face. Well, oddly enough, it's, it's usually voices, I remember, not faces. <laughs> you have to pull that door, madame. Allow me. 
How much further have we to go? About a mile and a half. Do we drive by the river all the way? Yes. Seems a very long four miles. It's probably near five from the station. We always work in about 20 minutes. When we get round the next bend, you'll see the cottage on the top of a hill. You mean Miss Faber's cottage? Yes. Oh, I thought you had a bungalow. No, madame, a cottage. It's, it's one of those, uh, what do you call it, uh, Tudor cottages with a, a thatched roof. <laughs> thatched, is that the right word? Yes, that's the right word. How long have you worked for Miss Faber? Oh, nearly two years now. And before that? Oh, before that, I was all over the place. Abroad? Yes, abroad. Which part? Zurich, Copenhagen, Oslo, oh, you know. Paris? No, I've, I've never worked in Paris. But you've been there? No, never. I think you have. What do you mean? You've been to Paris quite recently. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the Café Dico. Surely you remember the Café Dico? I don't understand what you mean. Oh, I'm surprised, Mr. Franz. Don't you remember a rather disreputable individual selling newspapers and pretty postcards? You recognized my voice? Yes. I knew you would. I told Van Dyke you'd recognize my voice. Now, listen, I, I don't know what your game is, but oh, don't be a fool. Stop the car. Take your hands off the wheel. You heard what I said. Stop the car before it's too late. Stupid little fool. All right, you ask for it. Oh, you. For heaven's I... sake, be careful. No, you I... turn the car over. I'll teach you to strike me. Take your hands off the wheel. Look out. That was the fifth episode of the Francis Tedbridge serial Paul Temple and the Van Dyke Affair with Peter Cook as Paul Temple and Marjorie Westbury as Steve. The part of Inspector Eden is played by Frederick Treves, Mary Desmond by June Tobin, Bill McCall by John Scott and Roger Shelley by Richard Herndl. Production for the BBC was by Martin C. Webster. Webster.